All right. All right, everyone. So we've had some really great presentations. So I hope we can live up to all your expectations. I am Maria Palombini, and I lead the healthcare and life sciences practice at the IEEE Standards Association. And I have with me today Dr. Daniel Toshio Harrell um, from University of Austin, Dell Medical School, so local. And Sachin Shetty, who's the Associate Director of Virginia Modeling Analyst and Stimulation Center at Old Dominion University and Executive Director of the Center for Source and Intelligent Critical Systems. That sounds like an IEEE title, by the way, Sachin, because this is very typical uh, at our world. So today we're going to talk about open DLT for patient privacy protection in the age of healthcare consumerism. So before we get into our discussion, I would just like everybody who is a healthcare consumer to raise their hand. I should see everybody's hand, by the way. We are all patients. So this is really important, right? Um, you know, the term healthcare consumer was actually coined back in the 60s. Don't quote me on this date, but it's been around for quite a while. It's just now more and more we're getting used to this term with the dawn of telehealth, right? And more and more we're asking patients, especially in a U.S.-based healthcare system, to pay more for their healthcare. So this idea of like you're a healthcare consumer seems more like let's go with the flow. But there's a lot of implications to that, and we're going to talk more on the side of privacy. So before we get to our next, right there, I have another question for you. How many of you are caregivers? Okay. So. Just not only do I lead the healthcare science, life science practice, but I am a perpetual caregiver to family members. And a lot of us think of caregiving as just the care that you give from a point of making sure they get their medicine or taking them to hospitals. But as an experience, managing a, as a caregiver for health records is a nightmare. So, and the idea that you just say, oh, I'm going to go into a digital portal at this healthcare system solves all your problems, it actually creates more problems. And this is a person who's, I will call myself technology savvy. I could just imagine people who are afraid of the internet, the nightmares they go through. So when I hear conversations like Jim Nasser talking about ease of use to use an app to manage your health records, or we talk about, you know, DLT as the opportunity for transparency, this is an important factor. Just think about this as a caregiver. You walk into a room, your loved one is in a hospital bed, Dr. X walks in, who's a specialist, says, we're going to do this. But I need to talk to Dr. C, who's another specialist, before I can do that. Do you have any record that that conversation happened? No. Then Dr. C goes back and tells Dr. X why he can't do the surgery or whatever it might be, and you as the caregiver and the patient have no idea what's going on, that he might not even have seen that diagnostic report. This makes your life miserable. This makes healthcare, when we say we don't trust, or we not sure what's going on, or, did, or sometimes there's errors in care, is because we not, do not have the transparency to see what's going on, and no one is usually coordinating all this care between specialists. So this is where we talk about, from IEEE's perspective, because our mission is advancing technology for humanity, and I think this is a very important human cause. So with that, I'd like to hand it over to Daryl, who's going to talk about um, some of the work um, he's been doing at the University of Texas with your MediLiquor project, okay. which I think gets to the heart of a lot of the questions we're, we're talking about here today. Thanks. Uh, can everyone hear me? Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, so uh, my name is uh, Daniel Harrell. I, I'm a research associate at the University of Texas Dell Medical School, uh, particularly in the blockchain and healthcare lab. And I've been trying to create, or we, as a group, we've been creating an application and a blockchain framework that allows 
healthcare records to be patient-centric and patient-controlled. So my original motivation is kind of similar to what uh, Maria was saying, is I also take care of a lot of my family members' health data. I do come from a health background. Uh, so I do have, a, again, tech savvy, but I also carry around a little notebook to every doctor's appointment because my dad has five separate doctors that don't communicate with each other. So who is that person who has to keep everyone in line? It's the patient or their families. So our system is trying to kind of bridge, provide a patient-controlled application that serves as a connector or bridges between all these healthcare institutions that are siloed so that that data liquidity, so that data is always present for who and, and when it's needed and under, with a digital trust in, still in place. It's, so that's what we've been doing at UT. So Sachin is also a, a working group member of the IEEE's standard working group called Blockchain for Healthcare Life Sciences and Social Sciences. And they're cutting at this at many different applications. So Sachin, maybe you can give a little insight to the work you guys are doing and how you all see technical standards, especially in the area of DLT and privacy and that kind of thing. Thanks, Maria. Uh, thanks for the opportunity as well. So as Maria said, the standard script that she's referring to is IEEE P24186, and I uh, lead the Decentralized Internet of Medical Things group. And if you can tell from the name, uh, what our mandate is trying to uh, propose or at least work with device and data providers, the device manufacturer and data providers, to understand what type of standardization can be put into place for devices to communicate with existing DLT uh, technologies and have that data make its way into current uh, healthcare systems. So it's trying to chalk out the path of data. Uh, and that's the piece that Maria was talking about, the provenance piece, right? So the creation of data from where the device is tethered to the patient, to that particular data being exchanged through whatever carrier mechanism that we have, whether it's 5G or Wi-Fi, whatever the connectivity is that, to managing that data itself and integrating that into existing enterprise systems. So what you'll notice is that we've noticed for we've been working on this for a year and a half. So we, as a group, are uh, blockchain technologists like me, uh, healthcare provider folks, uh, device manufacturers, and uh, folks uh, who do data analytics for a living. And so what we realized is lack of standards and uh, lack of standards across the board, especially when it comes to medical devices. Uh, as a side, I've done some work with Centera Healthcare on a product on blockchain-based medical device security. And so that's something that has been challenging for me as well, because you can develop the DLT standards, but if the device manufacturers are going to be uh, following their own standards in terms of how devices are going to be operating. And so when I talk about tethered devices to patients and that data being collected, and if that data doesn't follow the standards that we are used to in the healthcare industry, so we have a disconnect. And that's been a big challenge for us working in this community as we're trying to bridge that gap. Uh, what would be the minimal viable standards? You can see we can talk about standardization, but we got to make it work. And when I say make it work, make it work, at least for my group, uh, is make it work with the medical device manufacturers. And so we're reaching, reaching out to the community to find out where does the minimal standards exist? Where can we have a compromise in terms of the standards that they need to follow and the standards that we will want to abide by when it comes to security and privacy? So, so that's been the biggest uh, work that we've been 
come up with the best practices and recommendations that will hopefully become some set of standards that will be adopted. We want it to be adopted and executed, especially by device manufacturers and data providers. Excellent. So often I hear, because I'm in the world of standards, that technical standards can inhibit innovation. So I just want to call your attention to your cell phone, right? The IEEE 802.11 Wi-Fi protocol is what makes Wi-Fi on all your devices connect to where it needs to connect to. So it was born, I think, more than two decades ago. But my point is, look how much innovation came as a result of this opportunity to connect these devices through Wi-Fi. So the question is here, can we develop technical standards in such a way that we can integrate the blockchain as seamless as we expect our phones to work on Wi-Fi using that standard protocol? Our goal is not to block innovation. We can actually potentially open the doors to innovation. So Daniel, you mm -hmm. were telling me this morning as a developer the challenges that you ran into as a result of a lack of standardization. So maybe you want to share your experiences in this uh, episode you've been going through. <laughs> So uh, at, at, the, at our lab, we've been working with a local municipality here to create a, a blockchain framework to help navigate HIV PrEP program, uh, which is a very complicated, highly stigmatized uh, 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 diagnosis. Or, and so patients are, about 14% of patients actually make it through the entire program because they fall through the cracks between the CBO or the community-based organizations or testing to the PrEP providers to the uh, end of treatment at the pharmacies. They don't have no, they don't get any help on the navigation. At every institution along the way, they get a list saying, here, you can pick any of these uh, providers, good luck. And it's very, it's very complicated, and there's no traceability from step to step because at every step along the way, the hospital basically starts over again. All the new intake, all the new testing, and so forth. And so I've been studying the intake forms and things, and there's no common thread between what is being asked of these patients, whether it's financial records, whether it's their personal identification, whether it's their medical history. It's completely uh, just every institution is siloed. And so as a designer trying to create a common thread through all this, I find it very difficult because I realize on one side, there is no commonality, there's no standard that we can follow across the board. But also, thinking in a bigger picture, I'm creating this credential or designing this credential to be used on other use cases as well. But as a result, I'm creating my own alliance of blockchain applications that have to deal with my system or our system as opposed to a uniform, universal um, credential that can be used in any institution to create like a life, a life care record as opposed to a, a prep record. And that difficulty is really hard to overcome because there's no guidance from a, either governmental entity or guidance from, uh, from the technical side as well. And just on the flip side, uh, as you were saying, standardization is, uh, uh, drives innovation. Before I started working in blockchain, I actually was working more cloud-based, and I was working in Sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. There is a common standardization from WHO, as well as they use a similar uh, medical record system. So I was able to translate my Kenyan system I had 
to Laos in two weeks in terms of the design because the data fields are the same. The data, so that standardization can allow mobility, it can allow interoperability, but it also can just make it open doors globally, actually, and even and locally as well. So, so these are all great. I mean, there's multiple areas of standardization. You know, we're looking at, we talk about the integration of the blockchain. We have blockchain in AI. We have blockchain in IoT and the medical device. I mean, there's many, many applications. Um, but for the point of this panel, we're focusing on the patient's privacy and data. You know, um, Sachin, we actually have another group at the IEEE called the Clinical Sharing Data Alliance, and they're looking at predictive analytics and clinical trials with data. And they're always telling me, Maria, it's about the data. Right? Um, you talk to Jim Nasser, he's like, Maria, it's about the data. So, Sachin, um, I know you talked in this a little bit of predictive analytics, but there's an element of saying, hey, how do we take real-world data, of the secondary use of the data, and put it back to work? Right? Whether it goes back into targeted therapeutics, clinical research, patient trial recruitment, might be. So, Sachin, you know, from an analytics point of view, the data with the blockchain and the standards, what, what are you guys are seeing from the work you're doing? And I'm glad you touched upon it when you mentioned mm -hmm. about the value for research. So, as the, we are a we got multiple subgroups under the IEEE 148.6, and one of the group focuses on research trials. And so as the decentralized uh, internal medical things group, we've been thinking about the I mentioned the path of data, and the talk about the path the data takes, and also the value of data as well. So one of the examples of value of data could be research trials. So if I'm a patient, and uh, we, we were talking, Maria was talking earlier about caregivers and creating this uh, an identity framework to know who will have access to my data records. And that can extend beyond your family and caregivers as well. Well, I would like to uh, impact research, let's say research in cancer, uh, so a trial that is going on. And how does my data impact that particular field trial research? And so whether, uh, because sometimes you don't, just don't have the transparency, you just don't know who is uh, extracting value out of your data, and that lack of transparency you know, feeds into lack of participation, right? How do we incentivize uh, our stakeholders to be willing contributors of data? And if they won't be willing contributors, they don't see what the value is. So we've been working, we have some folks who have knowledge of uh, research uh, happening and also research uh, field trials going on, and they're always looking for data, right? So we started uh, working with this group to try to understand uh, how can we incentivize uh, patients to share data so that they can track the value of the data and what that value that data provides in accelerating that particular field trial, right? So that's a good example of understanding that, you know, you increase participation by making sure that you have good data that is uh, shared with them. That will only happen through a DLT mechanism because you now have this exchange mechanism, you have this transportation auditing capability where now the patients really know uh, where the data is going and what value provides. And that goes into what Maria talked about. We can talk about predictive analytics, but it, it helps to couch that problem into very specific use case, and so we've been working with this group to understand, you know, this is going to benefit this particular field trial. What does that really mean? That means they'll have good data. So anytime we need to predict analytics, it's all about data, right? If you don't have good data, you know, that old saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you have data that you can, again, go to the provenance piece, right? Where did this data come from, right? Under what context, under what settings, right? So in the DIOMD case, we actually have this, you know, in our standard uh, recommendations, we'll have, well, was, was this data collected in a private setting? Was the data collected in a public setting where they are transiting? Or was the data collected in a walled garden setting within the providers, right? So the, the context of the data and the value of the data differs on where it was collected. And you can 
attribute the quality of the data based on where it was collected. Right? That also goes into that transparency and provenance provider. And so that's part of our group that we're doing, trying to uh, provide as much granularity as possible so that then you can attach the value of it. Right? So then we get away from this garbage and garbage out because you have enough granularity and quality attached to the data and then you can discern. And you can, it reduces the time as well for the field trials, but they know what type of data makes sense for them right? because they know in the what context that was uh, gathered. And that reduces, that also reduces the risk attached with it in terms of predictive analytics and the quality goes up because then you really know. Because anytime you can throw any numbers in analytics, but you just don't know how much to trust it. And so in AI and machine learning, there's the big, there's a lack of uh, understanding of how much trust do I have on this? Because you can throw any analytics you want to and you'll get some numbers out and you can do some predictions. But if you don't trust that process, right, and you don't really know whether this number is better than the other number, right, and so that's what we are trying to figure out, how much resilience we can build in, right, so that we can let you know that you can trust this and the trust comes with uh, transparency. If you don't provide the transparency, then you just don't have a basis for the trust. Absolutely. <clears throat> so we, at Tripoli, we get a lot into uh, ethical considerations, right, when we talk about patients taking management of their data. Um, there's always a lot of questions. Will patients know what to do, this kind of thing? So I was thinking about, you know, telehealth, right? So obviously, thanks to COVID, uh, we've more engaged in telehealth. And there's no standardized platform, right? Who uses uh, Doximi? Who might use, um, you know, Teladoc? Who uses WhatsApp? Uh, FaceTime. So the question is here, let's say you're using your traditional commercial app like a FaceTime with your healthcare provider and the video is recorded, like how do you know where it's stored? Like who, like who else can see this video, right? So that's a big privacy question. It's, I can't have it, but where are you putting it, right? So you were telling me this morning about an instance like how do we use blockchain to even just maybe control our rights, how it's stored and shared from that point of view? So with MetaLinker and uh, the kind of this blockchain and healthcare use case, we've really been focusing on granular consent and granular sharing. And so, for instance, I'll take my driver's license as an example. Um, I need to prove at the grocery store that I'm over 21. Um, I don't want them to see my name, my address, my actual birthday. They just need to know one thing, binary, yes or no, that I am over 21. With blockchain, we can develop unique requests as a binary ask or no knowledge proof, but also I can give exactly the information as applicable to that scenario, as opposed to my entire identity going to a receiving institution. Because as Maria said, once I share that information, I have no idea what they'll do with it going forward. It's like an email. Like I can send you an email, but I don't know who you're going to forward it on to. Uh, and then on the other side of that, we can also revoke person's access to that data, at least in the, where it won't be verifiable in the future. Again, I can't, I can't know how, how the receiving institution is going to use that information, but on the blockchain, there's a revocation node or a block saying that on an X date, I said I do not want my data to be used in this way going forward. And if they need to verify, it will fail. But in a, also, in a legal perspective, if there was a misuse going down in the future, you have documentation saying your intent. And so blockchain allows us to maintain trust, but also document pa patients' intent on how their data is being used. And I think that's a very powerful tool for the framework. Absolutely. 
So, Sachin, um, I know you guys have like, I don't know, like 20 sub-working groups in your particular standards category. Where do you guys see as, let's call it, the low-hanging fruit, where you guys think this is, you know, we think we can start here as a baseline? Yeah, I think, uh, so again, as I mentioned, the DIOMT group works with the identity group mm -hmm. and uh, works with the cybersecurity group. Uh, so, especially with identity, to just piggyback on what Daniel said, right? So, we're looking into uh, when it comes to identity, it's not only people's identity, but also device identity as well, and trying to look at uh, uh, whether it's a self-sovereign identity type of systems. Uh, trying to figure out to Daniel's point about you know how do you create this your own trust system? Right? I talk about trust, but right now trust is attached to the centralized arbitrator, right? Whether it's one of those big tech companies. And that's where the trust is placed. Right? How do we create our own islands of trust uh, and decentralize that? So that's something that we have been looking into uh, in our DIOMT uh, capability. That's number one. And number two, I mentioned about uh, trying to find that minimum viable set of uh, uh, standards, if you will, or standard elements, if you will, so for, for us to be able to work with device manufacturers so that we can uh, understand the ability for us to create data that could be trusted, verifiable, and uh, make it navigable through the data exchange mechanism so that it can be consumed in a way that would be valuable. So again, it's it's a lot of discussion around the point of the minimum viable capability, right, so that we don't try to go for this altruistic type of approach and try to understand what are the challenges. And we have been uh, invited to some of the device manufacturer communities as well, so it's outreach where we, uh, as uh, blockchain technologists, you know, listen to device manufacturers, understand their challenges as well, and what the challenges they fa face in trying to integrate with the healthcare community. And so a lot of lessons learned, and so something that helped us formulate, so we don't want to always assume that we understand uh, their challenges. And because there's a lot of, and because for, at least for my group, device is the centerpiece because we work on IOMT, so if you don't understand how devices operate and how they're going to share the data, so it's a non-starter for us. So that has been our first step, and we have made progress on that, where we understand what the minimum viable capability would be. And the first thing that I mentioned about identity. So that has been a key piece, and again, what Daniel mentioned, that that's a key part of blockchain as well. So creating this uh, decentralized identity capability and making that happen. Uh, we've seen some uh, overtures on W3C. They've recently adopted the uh, DID uh, core standards, hoping that uh, more of those uh, comes along the way so that, especially with DID standards, it's been a long time coming uh, to make that reality. So we have a few minutes left. Um, Daniel, maybe mm -hmm. a last comment thought you want to share? Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, I think blockchain is a very valuable tool in the healthcare space. I've been, we've been investigating it for the last you know, two, three years, and it's, but it's a part of a bigger framework. It's a tool, it's a tool in the toolbox, and like having like we all our group also works with HIEs as well, the local one here in uh, Central Texas. And a lot of the big issues are related to linkage. Patient data is mistyped. I have an example personally where my father's middle middle and first name were switched. At a, he has two different records with his with two different names because of one mistake. And and the the, the receptionists, the EMS providers, they are on tremendous stress. To, and it's they're doing what they can with the resources that they have. If we can create a digital identity, like a self-sovereign identity system for every patient, that data becomes instantaneous, auto-populates, and we can try to make sure the linkages are available. But also with this blockchain system, we don't have to keep this within just the healthcare space. 
We can make a life record. We can do like social determinants of health. We can do, you know, your fitness, the IoT devices, you know, uh, Fitbits, iWatches. We can start connecting all these little nodes to a central pillar, which is a patient's identity on the blockchain. And then from there, create more of a continuum of care as opposed to a lot of isolated incidents that you need someone else to keep track of. Thank you. Uh, Sachin? Yeah, I think what I would also piggyback on what Daniel said, because another of the work that my center does is on resilient AI. And I've been always looking at uh, what blockchain can do in terms of uh, realizing resilient machine learning. And so this has been a big challenge for the community, the industry community on analytics and how do you trust analytics. And there's, there are a lot of different ways to do so. And I've been always interested to see uh, the role blockchain can play in helping us realize resilient analytics. Because we, as I keep mentioning, it's, it's all about data, right? And so for us, we, we uh, extract value from data through this tool that provides analytics. Now, there's been a lot of tools out there. And so my biggest concern is you know, how much of this analytics do we trust? And do we have a mechanism in place that can help us increase that trust in the analytics that is coming out of it? And so, uh, especially with uh, blockchain understanding identity and from, from identity management and provenance are very key aspects of this. If we can address, and if you know for a fact the source of the data, right? So you know it's coming from whatever source it is coming from. And second piece of Daniel said, the accuracy of it. it blockchain can't help do anything about accuracy. That's going to be other systems that need to be in place. But if you can address identity and if you can address provenance, that at least addresses some of the key requirements that you would expect to have a trusted analytics, right? So if you, in order to create trusted analytics, I need to know the source, I need to trust the source, I need to know that the source would never change throughout the life cycle. It can't be just a one-time uh, checkpoint. Throughout the life cycle of the data creation, that source would never change its behavior. And then the provenance attached to that. If we can track that, and, if, and blockchain, I do believe, as a tool, has the capabilities of addressing identity management and provenance assurance, then I think we will at least address the biggest challenge which I think we'll be facing on resilient AI and trusted analytics. Excellent. Thank you, Sachin. So for all of you, if you're wondering if this technical standards thing is your thing because you're not an engineer, the answer is, is yes, because we need consensus-driven standards, meaning we're bringing all the voices that are going to be impacted by the standard to help contribute towards development of the standard. And, you know, we collaborate, for instance, you're going to hear from Bob Celeste a little bit later about the work they're doing at the Open Credential Initiative and the great work they're doing with that alliance. We try to see how we can bring it in and cultivate into standards. You know, we did the same thing with Robert Chu and Blima, looking at the work they're doing and their alliances. So if you have an idea and you think, hey, you know, we have an alliance and we're exploring things, please come by. I'm in that little corner over there with the pens and the pads and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the clip chips. And then um, come by and say hi and just express your interest. It really just, it's more your time that we want and your expertise. So thank you panelists for today and thank you all for listening to us and we hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you.